Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny. It is Wednesday, April 2nd, 2015. We are broadcasting live from Harlem, New York City, USA. And I hope everybody's off to a great spring. i got to tell you, today in New York City, we had a spectacular day. Without question, the nicest day of 2015. And interesting that it came on April 2nd. We have had a long very, very cold winter, and uh, it was nice to get a, a good day here. Now, we've got some crummy weather coming up, some rain and more cold weather again, but uh, you know what? I think we're breaking through. I think we're heading heading towards a real spring, so people were out. They're in t-shirts. It was 63 degrees, sunny out, beautiful, just absolutely gorgeous and so needed for the people of New York City, so... Uh, Hey, we've got a great show tonight. Our guest is uh, Art Markman. Uh, He's going to talk about a book that he has called Smart Change, Five Tools to Create New and Sustainable Habits in Yourself and Others. And I went through the book, and it's it's very interesting. It really gets into how to kind of break specific behavior patterns and turn them into positive. So he's going to call us in, call into us in a few minutes, and uh, in the meantime, we'll chat a little bit. So... uh, as you know, the whole Guys Guys uh, movement started with uh, the novel, The Guys Guys Guide to Love, uh, which you can purchase on uh, Amazon or any of the e-tailers. You can find it in some bookstores. Uh, you can get the hard copy or an e-book. And uh, it's, a, it's a story about two guys in advertising computer, competing for love, sex, power, and money. And it really, it really set the whole Guys Guys brand off in a very nice way because... Uh, it's about love and it's about relationships and it's about when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. And from there, we developed the uh, the blog on my uh, website, robertmanny.com, M-A-N-N-I.com, where we have uh, over 250 blog posts there concerning everything about love, life, pursuit of happiness. And uh, you can also find me on Facebook, Robert Manny Author. Uh, or you can just hit me up if you want to friend me at Robert Manning, Twitter, Robert Ma- at Robert Manning, YouTube, Robert Manning Author. And all of our uh, got Blog Talk Radio podcasts are housed on both Blog Talk Radio and also on uh, iTunes. So uh, you can catch the shows whenever you want. There's over 130 podcasts. We've interviewed people from uh, a lot of authors, but a lot of relationship experts. Uh, some athletes, and also uh, people in, in the entertainment field. And uh, the, the movement is growing. And, uh, you know, we say we like to say better men, better world. But it's not just about men. The whole guys, guys movement, again, is about when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. So let's just talk a little bit about what's going on out there, and then we'll bring our guest, Art Markham, Markman, on. So I mentioned the weather, but, you know, now that it's April, uh, you know, some guys, guys, some of us like sports. So I was at my fantasy baseball draft last, uh, Monday night. It went from 6 p.m. to I didn't get home till 2 a.m. I mean, that's how long it takes. It was an auction. So basically what happens is you throw out, and it's all American League and the league I'm in. Uh, you throw out a name and somebody makes a bid. And then you get uh, everybody, every team gets $260 and you place your bid. And you fill out your roster, uh, 23 players. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And most of the time, I don't see the other guys in the league except for every year at April. So you see a bigger belly and less hair and more or more gray hair. And I've been doing this uh, for 20-plus years now with the same group of guys. And some of them I don't really know very well at all, but I only know them through baseball. So it's interesting. It's interesting. The guy who brought me into the league, a good friend of mine, Warren Leopold, 
who I miss dearly. He was a very close friend, and he passed about seven years ago, and his older brother was in this league, and now I'm still in it. And then I brought a couple of guys in, and they're still in it. So we have this, uh, you know, it's like how everything's connected. And uh, we have a lot of fun, and we had a great time the other night. It was uh, no arguing or anything. We just had a really good time. And uh, now we'll see what happens as the season gets going. We actually had the draft uh, or, or actually the auction a little bit early this year because the rosters aren't, haven't been completely filled out yet for Major League Baseball. But here we are. And you know, when, when baseball gets started, like I like to say, and I've said in the past, it's like a sign of springtime, it's particularly in the, in the Northeast and you know, the Yankees and the Mets. And uh, it's a time for uh, renewal. And it's a time for hope. And now uh, Saturday night, we've got, a, uh, I think, a full moon with an eclipse. It's called a red moon. And supposedly red moon means uh, uh, some kind of uh, emotional energies out there. So uh, got to kind of watch that type of energy that comes from the uh, red moon. But we'll see. Um, called the blood moon. And next thing we have coming up is April 15th. We've got taxes, so I hope everybody's getting their returns in, and I hope everybody gets a nice fat refund check um, because you know, we pay a lot of taxes, and uh, and what else can you say about that? But it's a challenge, and uh, uh, the economy is pumped up, uh, but is it sustainable? Not sure about that. It seems like they're kicking the can down the road. If you're invested in the market, you've done great in the last eight years, but, uh, you know, there's so much debt and there's so much money that's been printed. How long can this keep going on? Because the growth of the economy is not matching the growth of the debt. And at a certain point, you know, there's a lot of pressure on that equation. So fasten your seatbelts, people, and, uh, enjoy it while you can. But, uh, Everybody, I think, is going to have to learn how to be more sustainable. You know, I've been reading a lot about what's going on with the culture and economies. And over, you know, the few last few hundred years, you know, we went from even like the last thousand years, we went from the feudal system into capitalism. And then now this seems to be an evolution that's happening towards uh, co-ops and uh, a new kind of economy. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, that keeps growing, that movement keeps growing more and more where as we see the, uh, you know, how capitalism uh, with all these mergers where, you know, there's ogalopolis and it's almost monopolies in certain areas. You know, if you want to be in a, you want a bank, you know, which bank you want? City, Chase, Wells Fargo, what they're offering is not that different. The cable companies, same thing. You want Verizon, you want Time Warner Cable, you want Optimum, what are they offering? Not that different. Now, now you've got some streaming services and you've got the Amazon Prime, and you've got the Fire Stick, and now Google's coming out with something. So that's always good. So uh, you know, when 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 we when the mergers happen and the choices become less and less, fortunately, things keep evolving, and there's uh, other other technologies and other options that come up. But I think I think the idea of co-ops is going to get bigger and bigger as our uh, the pressure builds on our uh, unsustainable uh, economic model right now. And uh, as you can see what's going on out there is a lot of people uh, are upset. Um, and they're starting to really get more and more vocal. And it's really interesting. I'm curious as to what, what will happen. And there's a lot of, a lot of uh, pent-up pent up anger, I think. If you really look at the, a lot of posts on Facebook and read the comments, a lot of them are driven by anger. And uh, that's a sign that there are a lot of frustrated people out there. So just be be aware of that. Be mindful of that. And I would suggest to everybody, don't fall into the trap of, of anger because it really doesn't do anything for you. Let's talk a little bit about our guest tonight, Art Mark, Markman. Um, I've been reading his book over the past week, Smart Change, Five Tools to Create New and Sustainable Habits in Yourself and Others. It's really fascinating. Um, it's really a, a tool book and a toolkit, if you will, to help you change some patterns of your behavior. And it's so difficult because uh, we get into these patterns and we get locked in. And then we, a lot of people live these reactive lifestyles where you keep doing the same thing over and over again. And it's hard to change, uh, whether it's yo-yo dieting or 
just doing things that are negative and not very good for you. And uh, and Art has come up with a, a real good program and a template for creating change. Uh, he's the author of Smart Thinking and Habits of Leadership. Uh, is the Annabelle Iron Warsham Centennial Professor of Psychology and Marketing at the University of Texas, founding director of Human Dimensions of Organizations program there. He blogs regularly for Psychology Today, HuffPo, 99U, Harvard Business Review Online. And I believe, if I read his bio correctly, that he's from Edison, New Jersey. So uh, let's bring him on now and uh, say hello to Ph.D. Art Markman. Good evening, Art. Good evening. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks so much Good. for being our, our featured guest on the show tonight. Um, My pleasure. I've been going, I've been going through the book, and it's fascinating. Um, you've got uh, you've got a really fresh take on uh, behavior and change, and um, you know I've got some questions here, but uh, I, I'd love to get your uh, motivation and inspiration like why did you tackle this this topic you know it's it, there's there's two parts to this i mean one is that uh almost everyone we know struggles with some kind of change in behavior because you know we're, we so often try to do the thing that feels right for us in the short term and, and end up not doing things that are good for us in the long term and so we watch people struggle on the one hand and then on the other you know, as a psychologist, I look around, I think to myself, you know, the science of psychology knows a tremendous amount about the way that the mind works. And a lot of that information is a closely guarded secret that is released only to the people who are reading the scientific journals. And it's really about time to get more people up to speed on the way that their own minds work so that they're not living in, in ignorance of, of the mind and, and as a result working against it. Hmm. Um, okay, your your system then. Um, uh, why why do you think people are locked into these habits, and what is the kind of the key to getting started to getting out of it? Because your book is, it it, it you know you can just read it, but you really have to uh, use it as a workbook. Also, you have to set up a uh, as a, a journal if you want a smart change journal. Ha, ha, give us a little bit of an overview of uh, how the system works. Yeah, so the first thing to start with is to is that you have to understand a little bit about what it is that drives your behavior. And so one of the things I do at the front end of the book is to point out that deep inside your brain is a set of of uh circuits that um that are what I call the go system. And what the go system does is it it engages your goals, it gives energy to those, and it drives your behavior. It pushes you to act. And then every once in a while, you have a, a behavior you don't want to perform anymore because it's no longer a good idea for you. And in that situation, once that behavior gets engaged by the go system, the only chance you have to stop it at that point is to use another set of brain mechanisms that are located in the very front of your brain, right up above your eyes. And that system is called the stop system. And sometimes we think of it as, as our willpower and the problem with the stop system is that it's much weaker than the go system is. It is uh, impaired by stress, by drugs and alcohol, by overuse. And so uh, a lot of times what we end up doing is we rely on that stop system to prevent us from doing the things we don't want to do anymore. We say, I don't want to eat too much, and so I'm going to rely on the stop system to stop me from eating. I don't want to smoke anymore, so I'm going to rely on the stop system to, to get me to stop smoking. And really... One of the fundamental principles for changing your behavior is you have to recognize that successful behavior change is all about reprogramming your go system so that you will now perform actions that are better ones for you to have rather than focusing yourself on the things you don't want to do. So this is, uh, you know, frankly, it sounds a lot like, and uh, this is not criticism by any means, it's actually a compliment. This is like a lot of, of uh, hypnosis, where when uh, dealing in hypnosis, you're dealing with somebody who wants to uh, become a non-smoker, if you will. It's not about stopping something. It's about, re it, in their mind, and their subconscious mind, replacing that behavior with something that gives them more joy, if you will. 
So you're using kind of a similar type of or, uh, mechanism here? Well, in many ways, I think it is similar. If you think about what hypnosis is, hypnosis is really just getting people to stop uh, resisting attempts at suggesting a new pattern of behaviors. There's nothing really magical about uh, about hypnosis. You're just allowing yourself to come under someone else's control for a moment long enough to try to help you to drive a new set of behaviors. And And what I'm doing essentially in Smart Change is trying to give you the tools so that you can get out of your own way, stop resisting your own attempts to change your behavior, and really to engage in a, in a comprehensive set of changes that will ultimately allow you to do something that you will find pleasurable and desirable to do, but it'll ultimately, hopefully, be a, a much healthier set of behaviors. Now, you mentioned that habits are actually, uh, in many ways, are good things to have. Um, tell us about that a little bit, um, because some people think like habits is like doing the same thing over and over again. But, you know, there's not uh, there's nothing wrong with that if they're good things, right? Right, exactly. I mean, uh, what I tell all my classes when I when I teach uh, cognitive psychology is that your habit learning system is actually designed and your brain in general is designed to help you to think as little as possible because there's all kinds of routines in your life you don't want to have to think about. Think about what happens when you get up in the morning in your home. You wake up and you're able to get yourself out of bed and get yourself washed and dressed and ready for the day without having to pay attention to all the specific steps of that process because you go through it all the time in that environment. And then what happens, you go travel somewhere, you wake up in a hotel, and now you have to pay attention to all the specific details, figure out where the shampoo is, where did I put my toothbrush. And you're almost exhausted by the time you leave the hotel room because you've actually now had to pay attention to all those details that you can do automatically when you're at home. So most of the time, your habits are actually a, a great thing for you. Now, you mentioned, you know, with the go system and the stop system, and the stop system is a good thing, um, but uh, it, I think, you know, from what I've read, it, 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 sometimes it's, uh, people fail at the stop system. Why, why do you think that is, Art? Yeah, so you know the 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 when we when we rely too much on our stop system, then then we're essentially. Uh, consigning ourselves to fail in the long run. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One of them is just from a system design standpoint, if the stop system could be stronger than the go system, we could create a, a situation in which we never did anything because the go system would try to engage a behavior and the stop system would always say no. So um, kind of like Congress, I think. Um, but we, so we don't, we don't want that to happen. So instead, um, the stop system is a little bit weaker. It will stop us some of the time, but if we're relying on it all of the time, then uh, then that system will will not succeed. And and frankly, you know, another thing about the stop system is that it involves a bunch of brain mechanisms that are really evolutionarily much newer than the the brain mechanisms that are part of the go system. And so they haven't had as much evolutionary time to really optimize themselves the way that, that our go system has. Now going through the book is a, you know, it's excellent in terms of, uh, you know, how you frame the whole process. I'm just curious, like what are the, what are the main behaviors that uh, you run into that people are most interested in changing about themselves? Well, I talk to people in two different contexts. I talk to some people who are really trying to change personal behaviors at home, and then I do a lot of work with people uh, in business. The, the Human Dimensions of Organizations program I run here is really a program trying to help people to understand people in the workplace. And so there's also workplace behaviors. So at home, behave, you know, the typical behaviors that people are trying to change are the ones that, that, that shouldn't be a surprise. Things like, uh, I want to stop smoking, I want to eat less, I want to get myself into better shape. Sometimes some mm -hmm. interesting ones, like they'd like to take up a hobby and they haven't been able to figure out how to fit that into their busy life. On the work side, though, there's there's all sorts of different things. I mean, some of them that are common across people are things like, uh, you know, they want to check their email a little bit less often. But but really the big thing in the workplace is that a, a lot of people find themselves ticking off the items on their daily to-do list 
without feeling like those have added up to a substantial contribution in the workplace. And so one of the things that, that this approach to changing behavior can help you to do is to think about what do I really want to accomplish at work? What are the kinds of things where I might look back on my life over a six-month or year-long period and be able to say, you know what, I did that. And, and that really also requires thinking about changing behavior. So it's kind of transcending the task orientation that so many jobs have, even at the upper middle management level now, and getting into more um, personalizing and uh, owning what you're doing and a sense of accomplishment. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. And and really, that's the thing that gets us to get up in the morning and want to get out of bed and go to work is is the fact that you feel like you can be part of something big. Uh, I think, you know, on those days when you wake up and think, yeah, well, today's going to be a lot of emails and a couple of meetings, you know, it's hard to justify setting foot out the door. Now, do you think that's, uh, is that a function of uh, where we are now with our system? Uh, Or, because I've read some uh, articles about, you know, 70% of people feel unfulfilled in their jobs and they they just kind of show up because they have to. And then there's, you know, there's people who don't have a job and they just want a job to show up to so they can feel unfulfilled. And it seems like, a, I don't want to say a broken system, but a, a system that needs uh, some some smart people like yourself to take a real hard look at it and see if it can be shaped a little bit differently. Um, what are your thoughts about the overall system of American business now since you work with it? Because I was in business uh, corporate business for 30 years, and um, I found uh, the further and further I got in the, my career, and even you know moving up the food chain, that this idea of you know technology and email and task orientation and showing up meetings with a lot of people, and then you know the project gets moved away, and then nobody people aren't involved in it anymore, and there's a lot of time that's burned at work, and it's really challenging to foster loyalty and motivation in employees. Yeah, yeah, you've you've hit on a really important point and I think there are obviously several facets of it we could probably talk for the rest of the the rest of the week on this. But um but I think there's a couple of things that are that are really interesting to me in this. One is that we tend not to focus a lot on helping people to really develop themselves in the workplace. So uh, for a long time, we have equated uh, development of a career with advancement in that career. And so we, we put people in a situation in which we try to get them to strive for the next promotion without really thinking more broadly about what does it mean for them to develop in the workplace, for them to pick up new skills, for them to really uh, feel like they're accomplishing something bigger. And this, has become, this problem has really come to a head because in many uh, large companies now, uh, you reach a point, sometimes fairly quickly, where there is no more opportunity for advancement. And because we equate advancement with development, now it feels like you're in what we all often call a dead-end job. And I think one of the things that we need to do is to rethink that and, and ask, are there ways of giving people chances to develop their skills, to increase their the power of their social network, to engage in, in some creativity in the workplace, even if they're doing that in a position where they're not necessarily going to get promoted out of that? And, and so to me, if we begin to do that more effectively, we may begin to give people a little bit more meaning in the work that they're doing. Uh, that's a great point. Could you? Could I ask you kindly to just elaborate that on a little more? So, how do you, when you're talking to uh, you know business clients, how do you how do you articulate that? How do you help them with that? Because that is a real issue where there's no there's no place to move up in some organizations, and you want to keep people who are competent. Uh, feeling fulfilled in their job and you want to, you know, add new skills to them uh, and, you know, you want them to be loyal also because what happens is people just say, the heck with this, I'm just going to keep looking for another job. Yeah. Well, so let's let's talk about this a bit more. So, uh, you know, think about this, for example. Imagine you were a small company for a moment. Imagine you had a friend, for example, who, who uh, decided that, uh, that he wanted to open a store um, to sell stationery. So he opens his stationery store, and uh, and he manages that stationery store. He he owns that for 35 years. It's a very successful business, 
and he tries all kinds of new things and he and 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 he's very successful at that you would congratulate your friend on having run a successful small business you take that same friend have him go to work for office max or office depot and nothing against them in particular but you have him go work for one of those stores becomes a manager early on works in that job for 30 35 years you think what was wrong that you couldn't get out of that and mm-hmm. and so what I tell companies to do is to think about what is it that would make that almost an identical job fulfilling if, in fact, people were doing it for themselves. The opportunity to learn so, learn a variety of skills that are associated with running that business. The opportunity to create social networks with other people in other businesses. The opportunity to try things at a local level uh, rather than having everything handed down from the top the, the the opportunity for people to become mentors for the people who are who are coming up in the store and and give, and create opportunities for people who are working for them to learn from them all of those things are the sorts of things you would do if you owned your own business let's give more people the opportunity to do that even if they're working in larger organizations and give them that sense of fulfillment in the workplace you know that's that's brilliant art and uh so many, particularly in retail employees, where you know that people don't want to be there and they're not interested and they, they're they just showing up and uh, there's not a service orientation unless it's driven by their by their employers through fear. And uh, I think what you're suggesting is so important. Um, how, do, how do your uh, clients, if you will, uh, take that when you tell them that you need to do this for your employees? To have a more successful organization, are they open-minded on it? Do they do they take the medicine? Do they set up an environment, as you mentioned in your book, where they are in a better position to change their behavior? Um, you know, it's 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 always a mix. I think that one of the places where people have become more receptive to this is in the recognition that if you look at some of the generational differences in the workplace, as more of the millennials are entering the workplace. They're much less driven by by uh, money and profit motive and advancement than than Gen X was than than Gen Y even, and so as as I think as employers see that the rising generation in the workplace is is treating the workplace very differently, I think they're becoming more open to thinking about new ways of engaging and motivating employees because they have to. Uh, that's the only way that they're going to survive. You know, I uh, I agree with you, and I I actually have a soft spot for millennials because I, you know, in my experience, I I find them. Um, first of all, I think they've been dealt a very bad hand. There's too many companies that bring in interns and they throw them a hundred bucks a week under the table, or they don't pay them at all, and they keep them in these internships, and it's it's really bad news. And these kids just they just want to learn and they just want to get ahead, and there's not a lot of opportunities where you know I'm a boomer and you know, sure, there was some bumps along the way getting out of college, trying to get that first job. But it seemed like there was a lot more opportunities then than there are now. Is, is that the case that the, for millennials, are they really in a tough spot? Well, you know, I think that the, the, the real tough spot for many of them, I mean, the, as you pointed out in the open, the economy has been a little bit better lately. And I'm in Austin, Texas, where, uh, you know, I think I think our unemployment rate is about 3.4 percent. So mm-hmm. there are initial jobs for people to get. The, the, the real problem the millennials have is that there's a lot less loyalty uh, on the corporate side. There's, there's much less expectation that if you go to work, even for a large company that may be around for the next 50 years, that you're still going to have a job with them for that period. And consequently, I think it's hard for that generation to really establish a relationship with their workplace because they're just not sure that their workplace has their back. Yeah, and that's totally understandable. Uh, now you talk about mentors, and uh, throughout most people's corporate career, you know it's it's always helpful to have somebody who does have your back, having a mentor uh, to to kind of uh, fill you in uh, on some of the insights and what it takes to get ahead to, in an organization or its skill set. Um, talk to us a little bit about because you mentioned it in the book about the importance of mentorship, both uh, mentoring having a mentor, and then being a mentor for others. 
Yeah. You know, the thing to remember about human beings, what makes us so remarkable is that we are capable of living in any kind of information landscape. So right now, our corporate world with, with, all, with, with high tech, we've got computers, we've got the Internet, we've got email. Um, you know, 500 years ago, your workplace might have involved, it might have evolved, involved, you know, pens that were made out of feathers and, you know, and, and oxen. Right. And we're able to deal with both of those situations. But the way we're able to deal with it is because we have this remarkable capacity to learn from the people around us. And what that means is that it's very important for us not to feel like we have to do everything we do alone, but to seek out those people in our world who have what we want and to learn from them and, and to allow them to teach us how to navigate our world more effectively. And as important as it is to have good mentors, at some point, you can find your own motivation flagging a little bit. You can find your own connection to your workplace flagging. If you become a mentor, if you turn around and help other people to do their job better, to teach them what you know, it's very motivating for you. It, it, it makes you feel more connected to other people. It makes you more aware of how far you've come in your life and how many skills you've developed. And, and so being a mentor ultimately is just as important as having mentors in your career. I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly. And it's uh, very fulfilling uh, to be a mentor and see somebody open to the insights uh, that you want to share and uh, having them prosper as a result. It's, it's really, it's a great feeling to help others in, in business, particularly because, you know, when uh, young people come out of school, they're just as smart as uh, their superiors. It's just that they, they haven't had a chance to have the experience, and uh, you have to give them an opportunity to stub their toe a little bit now and then and uh, learn as they, as they grow. So uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, I didn't mean to get off track a little bit with, with some of that stuff, but so let's go back to your process in the book, Smart Change. We talked about very briefly the ghost system and the stop system. Could you just kind of get into that a little bit, Art, and how that works and how, can, how does somebody get started and why keeping the smart change journal is so important, et cetera, and some of the yeah. uh, logs in the road that they may see and how do you kind of get around them and or over them? Yeah. So, you know, the, the thing about your behavior, the thing about that ghost system is it really wants to maintain the habits that it has. Because it, with by by continuing to do what you've done last time, your brain doesn't have to spend that much time thinking about what to do in the future. And really, in a very literal sense, time is energy for the brain. Your brain's a very energy-hungry organ. So you need to overcome that. And, and what you need to do is to do that in a comprehensive way. What I do in Smart Change is to say that you need to address the goals that you have you need to create good plans to, that, that are going to get actions into your daily routine, that you have to be aware of the temptations that are going to be in your environment and plan for those so you don't rely too heavily on the stop system, that you manage your environment to make desirable behaviors easy and undesirable behaviors hard, and that you engage with people by having mentors and by hanging out with people who do the kinds of things that you want to do. Now, the thing about changing behavior is it is hard. It's a lot of work. And so it's not enough just to read about it or to think about it. You've actually got to work at it. And so when I was putting this book together, I really felt like it was important to create a structure where people could do the right kind of work. And so I, put, I, I created a smart change journal that goes with the book. And, and not only is it available in the book itself, it's actually available as a download on, on my website, smartthinkingbook.com. Uh, on the Smart Change tab, you can download a, a Word version of the of the journal. And it gives you tools like a two-week habit diary where you just sit and watch your own behavior so that you can begin to understand some of the things that you're doing and figure out where it is that you need to intervene on your behavior in order to make changes. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I, I, I always have wanted to get kind of a handle on you know my my diet, and uh, you know I'm not a big guy or anything, but I always I'm always like uh, not obsessed, but I always want to do better and better. And I a couple about ten years ago, I wrote down three years in a row everything I consumed for three years every single day, and wow, I really learned a lot. I probably didn't have to go to that extent, but I really had a very good grip on okay, 
this is when I eat, this is what I like to eat, and this is what I need to uh, kind of change. Now, making the change was a whole other, you know, this, it seems like, and I think it's in your book also, like step one is kind of getting a good bird's eye view as to, well, this is what I do. And then step two is like, here's what I need to change. And then here's how to, how to make that change. Could you talk to us a yeah. little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, right. So you identify that you want to make a change. You identify some of the habits. One of the next things you have to do is to get your goals right. Now, one of the things about your goals is that often people fail at the moment that they state the goal that they mm -hmm. want to change. Right. So, so they may, for example, say, I want to, I want to eat less which is a negative behavior, that's going to rely on the stop system. We don't want to do that. Instead, we want to create goals that, that are positive goals, that are focused on actions you're going to take. So you want to really make sure that you're talking about, I'm going to eat in the following way. Here are the foods I'm going to eat. Here are the times I'm going to eat. Here are the portions I'm going to mm -hmm. create. These are positive actions that you can perform. Yep. And you really want to focus on a process for living your life rather than an outcome. I mean, one of, the, one of the reasons for yo-yo diets is that people focus on outcomes. They say, I'm going to lose 30 pounds. And then they do all kinds of crazy stuff, and they lose, you know, maybe 30 pounds. But now what? You reach that outcome, and now you think, okay, I guess I go back to doing what I was doing before. And now you put the weight back on, and then you have to, you have to go back and forth through that process. Instead, Create a goal that refers to the process by which you're going to live your life. Here are the days I'm going to exercise. Here's the food that I'm going to eat. Here's the way I'm going to prepare that food. And as a side effect of living your life in that way, you're going to get some of the desired outcomes, like being more fit, like losing weight. And so that's, it's important to get those goals right and then to get the actions you want to take really onto your calendar. You know, another thing that we fail at when we're trying to create behavior change is that we say things like, you know what, I'm going to go to the gym twice a week. You know, I, I defy you, look at your calendar and find me twice a week. It's not there. Monday's there. Thursday's there. Mm -hmm. But twice a week right. isn't. So you have to really get the plan down to the level of where you can put it on your calendar, both to make sure that those actions can happen and to make sure that you deal realistically with all of the other obstacles that are going to come up, all the things that are going to get in your way that are going to keep you from getting to the gym or checking your email less often. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you also, as part of that, you talk about um, impulse and immediacy and then uh, failing unsystematically. So I guess, uh, you know, I guess what I'm trying to uh, say and ask is, um, you know, this, I, I guess in our culture, um, there is a sense of entitlement and immediacy, like I want it right now. And uh, as a component of that, there is unsystematic uh, failure in terms of not being organized in terms of actualizing your goals, if you will. Could you help me out with that? Yeah, sure. So let's let's take these two pieces. The one of them has to do with with just doing the thing that feels good in the short term. And and this is a, this is an aspect of our wiring. We 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 like every other creature tries to go around and do the thing that feels best right now. Um, certainly our modern world supports doing a lot more of that than say our evolutionary world would have. So um if you feel like eating a high-salt, high-fat food at this moment, you're probably only five minutes drive away from uh, a lot of high-salt, high-fat food, uh, which may not have been true, you know, 100,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we have always struggled with this trade-off between short-term and long-term. I like to tell people if you look back at, the, at our Judeo-Christian heritage and you say, you know what, here's the Ten Commandments. Um, excise a couple of them that, that have to do with follow this religion rather than that one. And all the rest of those commandments are basically about uh, doing the thing that's right in the long term rather than the thing that's right in the short term. And those were, that, that, was, that was written a long time ago, right? So this has been a problem mm -hmm. for, for as long as we can remember. It's, it's not a new thing. Now, the thing about doing things that, that feel right in the short term uh, is that it, we run the risk of failing actually systematically. If you look at your life, you're always failing at some of your goals. You know, there might be a day where you, you don't get to the gym because you have to work a little bit late, and then you leave work early to go to the gym. But maybe on another day, 
you um, you miss out on a meeting at work because you have to go take one of your kids to something. You know, there's there's always things that are competing with each other, and and a well balanced life is one where you fail unsystematically, where you, you're doing the best you can to achieve most of your goals most of the time. Every once in a while, what happens is you find that there's something you are systematically failing to do. So, for example, if you just if you if you're on that old seafood diet, you know, seafood eat it, um, yep. then you may find that systematically you're failing at your desire to get fit and lose weight. When you identify those systematic failures, that's a real signal of something where you're going to need to make a change. Mm-hmm. Got it. Now you mentioned also uh, in the book the you know our adherence and addiction, if you will, to mobile devices as part of uh, behavioral patterns, and I think it's so important. And you know, you just I get on the subway every day and I just look around and everybody's everybody's on their device. And uh, and then you you know you mentioned being in the supermarket, people are waiting for the checkout. Everybody's on their device. Talk to us a little bit. Uh, I only have a few more questions for you. So, but talk to us about what what this does and what the pitfalls are and how we can transcend the issues of being kind of ultra connected habitually to our mobile devices. Yeah, you know, we are, we are almost literally addicted to our cell phones at this point because um Every time that you pull out your cell phone and you notice that you have a new message, you get a little a little shot of of reward from the brain that tells you that that something unexpected happened that you needed to learn. And and so, you know, if if we were training a rat to press a bar, we'd put that rat down in a box, we'd let it walk around and we'd <laughs> give it a reward like some water. First, when it got near the bar, then when it pressed, touched the bar, then when it put its paw on the bar, finally when it pressed the bar. Once that rat presses the bar, you reward it. If you want to get it to press the bar over and over again, you reward it about 40% of the time that it presses the bar more or less randomly. Now, there are only two places in your life where that schedule of reinforcement happens repeatedly. One is with your cell phone. You pull that cell phone out uh, roughly often enough to, uh, that, you're, that you get something new 40 to 50% of the time that you pull it out of your pocket. And the other is uh, if you go to Vegas, they, they, they program that into slot machines to get you uh, pulling the bar there uh, for a long period of time. So we are really hooked on the, the little jolt we get whenever we have, have gotten a new message on the cell phone. And, and consequently, we're, we're losing that ability to really quiet ourselves a little bit rather than being occupied with something all the time to stand there and think and to daydream a little bit sometimes even to engage in happenstance conversations with people who are uh, online with us at a at a store so you know i think we really need to take a little bit more time to uh, to step away from that constant connectedness and give ourselves an opportunity to think and even more importantly, to, to, to avoid that temptation to multitask all the time. You'll find people working at their desk trying to get something done and then every once in a while pulling out their cell phone to look at it because they need to. And so sometimes we need to protect ourselves from ourselves by shutting that phone off and putting it aside and making it hard to do the thing that isn't the right thing to do in that situation. Uh you feel art that this part of the issue is that it's a uh, it's an escape like people they don't want to be there they're waiting for they're hoping that next next message is the message is going to change their life I, I being in business and seeing so many people particularly i had a couple of bosses and we'd be in a meeting and you know one guy i know i won't mention him but he just kept always looking at his phone i'm like you know this is your business i'm thinking to myself is there some place else you want to be you don't want to be here you're bored with this, and yeah. it's insulting too to people doing the work. Uh, the signal that that sends when you're constantly checking your phone, when you're interacting with other people, it's it's terrible. And I I always would think that well, you don't want to be here. It's it, and it comes across as disrespectful. Is that accurate from your work? Well, I, I, I what I would say is um, I think people are doing this purely out of the habit of it without actually mm-hmm. necessarily realizing the implications of it but it it certainly it it is received on the other end as you know i am i am who am sitting here in the room with you am less important than whatever's going on in the outside world 
you know, and 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 I, who am sitting in the room with you, really feel like I deserve your undivided attention at this moment. So, yeah, I really do think that we that we send a bad message that way. I think that when you confront people with that, they go, "Oh, oh no, 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 that wasn't what I was trying to do at all." But we are we are so we have such a deep and powerful habit to keep checking the phone that that it's it's just hard to do it and and that's why I tell people you know if you're in an important situation where you need to really be there you know go out of your way to shut your phone off and you know I mean it's only the last ten or fifteen years that everyone well fifteen maybe fifteen ish years that everyone was even mm-hmm. carrying a sure. cell phone all the time. You know, there really were times a couple of years ago where you might have an hour or two of the day where you were unreachable. And we were all yep. okay with that. That's a great point. I think we have to give people that opportunity to remember that just because we can contact everyone all the time and just because emails traverse the globe in a matter of milliseconds doesn't mean we need to be in contact all the time and that we need to answer messages with the speed with which they arrive to us. Okay. Uh, fantastic. One, uh, like, let's say one and a half more questions, and then I'll let you go. Um, you, 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 right. Because you stress the importance of environment. Um, in terms of uh, supporting your need to, to to make the change to be successful, they, there is a stress on environment. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so we are often unaware of how much our environment affects our behavior, but the fact is that we do the thing that's easiest to do in the moment, and uh, and so um, if, if you know years ago, I actually uh, lost a lot of weight um, about about 13 years ago. And one of the things that I had that I had discovered when I was trying to lose weight is that I had a very bad relationship with the single serving carton of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. That's you know, like a pint. And I would sit down with with that pint at the on the sofa with a spoon and you know you, you eat for a while and then you get about halfway down and you take one more spoonful yeah. past halfway and now it's just impolite to put it back in the freezer. You got to use the dish. You got to use the dish. Yeah. Right, right. And if and but 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 I made a remarkable discovery when I was trying to lose weight, which is that you actually can't eat an ice cream that's not in your freezer. <laughs> and you know, and and I think that that if you just if you just work to to think about what it is you're trying to achieve and to make those desirable behaviors as easy as possible to do and to make the undesirable behaviors as difficult as possible to do, you have you have solved an enormous uh, piece of the behavior change puzzle. Mhm. Fantastic. Um so just in parting, uh, first of all, you've been a tremendous guest, and I really enjoyed the book, and I love the work you're doing, and I love the fact that you're helping people. And I urge everybody to pick up this book, Smart Change, Art Markman, Ph.D. But tell us a little bit, one thing that you know the people who are listening, to get started, what's the one thing they can do and, and where they can find you and all your uh, content? Sure. So um, I think, you know, the the very first thing that you can begin to do, and I'm going to say there are two things you need to do. One is is really, as we were saying earlier, to really start observing some of your own behavior. Don't just dive in trying to make changes without understanding really what you're already doing. And because your habits are done mindlessly, you may actually be unaware of a lot of that. So pay attention to what you're doing. The other thing I always like to make sure people think about is behavior change is really hard, which means you have to treat yourself with a little bit of compassion. You have to realize that on some days you're going to blow it. You know, you're trying to lose weight and you're going to eat too much. You, you want to check, you, you want to stop checking your email so often and you're going to check it too much. Trying to quit smoking and you're going to have a cigarette. That doesn't mean you can't change your behavior. It means that on that day you didn't do the right thing. That's an opportunity to learn from it. So don't, don't use those little failures as an excuse to give up. Use them as a chance to learn uh, more about the process of changing your behavior. Um, if people want to find out more about some of the stuff that I've been up to, there's a few things you can do. I'm, I'm on Twitter at, at AB Markman. I'm on Facebook, Art Markman PhD. Uh, I'm on, I'm, I, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on, I think I'm even on Pinterest for crying out loud. Um, <laughs> and, uh, 
you know, and and but I have a website, smartthinkingbook.com, which uh, I post some blog entries there and have some information about my books. And uh, and if you follow me on any of the social media, you can find the, the blogging that I'm doing. Mostly these days, Psychology Today and Fast Company. I have a radio show out of Austin, Texas called Two Guys on Your Head. Uh, that's also a podcast on iTunes. If you want seven and a half minutes of some fun psychology each week, that's that's something else you can check out. Um, and so, you know, th- those are various ways people can get in touch with me. And you can always reach out to me by email. I'd love to hear from people. Art, art.markman at gmail. Um, I'd love to find out what people's stories are of behavior change. Fantastic. Well, listen, uh, you've been a fantastic guest. I really love your book, and uh, I thank you so much for being on Guys Guys Radio. Um, We're here. We're all about better men, better world, and uh, when men and women can be at their best, everybody wins. And I think you've got a lot of great tips, and you've got a good system for people to, you know, be the best they can be. So thanks so much, Art. Oh, thanks so much. It was really great to be here this evening. Fantastic. Okay, everybody, that's our show. Um, Again, the book is Smart Change, Art Markman, Ph.D. Make sure you uh, check out your bookstore or Amazon or wherever you buy your books and take a look at this. I highly endorse it and recommend it. And uh, check out Art at all his social media contact points. Um, Next week, our show, uh, our guest is uh, J.M. DeBoard. He was on once uh, previously, and he is a dream consultant, if you will. He interprets dreams. So uh, if you want to uh, send in some dreams to me, just hit me up on Facebook uh, and you can message me there. Or uh, you can just hit me at robert at robertmanny.com and uh, we can discuss them during the show next week. Or you can call in and uh, uh, JM will take care of that. So in closing, I think uh, our guest Art made a good point about, um, you know, it's never too late to change. You can change. You've got to give yourself a break. Of course, every once in a while, you know, if you're on a diet, you're gonna you want a little cheat day, if you will. But uh, that doesn't mean you can't kind of stick with the program. I'm in a I'm on a uh, diet right now. I'm doing something, trying something different called intermittent fasting. And basically, what you do is you uh, eat for eight hours. You're allowed to eat during eight hours of the day, and then for uh, 16 hours you don't eat. So I eat from 12:30 p.m. to 8:30 p.m. And I've been doing it for, this is my third week now. And you know what? I haven't lost a pound, uh, but it's tightened up my body a bit. And uh, what it does is when you go into the kind of a brief fasting mode, uh, you start to, your body starts to gobble up the fat. Now, my mistake has been that when I get into my eight hours where I'm allowed to eat, I'm eating too much. So uh, I think Art mentioned portion control is one of the diet things, but that's what I'm learning now. So now I have to add that component into it, and I'll get there. But, you know, I'm giving myself a break. I haven't gained any weight. Uh, I haven't lost any weight, but I've stabilized, and uh, I'm I'm taking a good look at what I'm doing, and I've learned it. So uh, just keep that in mind. Be good to yourself. Love yourself, and uh, remember that... uh, Guys, guys, finish first.